This is our God. Jesus, meek and majestic. Let's turn in our Bibles to the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. And since you may have a crease in your Bible there already, uh, that'll give you time to also turn to Psalm 37. Maybe put a little, stick your bullet in there or something so you can turn to it more quickly as we get going here. Matthew 5, Psalm 37. As you're turning to those scriptures, I want you to just imagine with me a world whose people are gladly ruled by God, people who love his law, people who live for his glory. Imagine a world in such a state that everywhere you go, people are like this and happy about it, blissful, content even. Can you imagine such a place? Heaven. Imagine living in a world whose people are not easily offended, not quickly provoked to offense, not quickly provoked to anger, self-defense. They don't speak first of themselves. They don't speak over others. They don't put down others. Can you imagine such a world? And that does sound a bit heavenly, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek, says our King Jesus, for they shall inherit the earth. God's anointed King, Jesus, is bringing heaven to this earth, to his people, and to his world. What do I mean by that? I I simply mean what Matthew has shown us thus far is that Christ coming to this earth is a new genesis, a, a new beginning for God's world and God's people is underway in the gospel. It's it's a it's a new beginning that that requires a new exodus. Remember all of this? Tell me you remember this, because I'm repeating it every time. This greater exodus is such that God is not saving his people from some place on the planet. He's saving his people from their sins. Sin's penalty, hell, is conquered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Sin's power to control the lives of people made in the image of God is conquered through the work of Christ for his people. And there is a day coming... How many of you know where sin's very presence will have been vanquished forever? And so Jesus says, repent. Have you repented? Are you a repentant person? Repent, says the king, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The king is here. The kingdom has come. Our Jesus has a kingdom, a dominion, if you will, that is even now breaking into humanity and expanding by the gospel of repentance and faith in him. So in the Sermon on the Mount, our king, Jesus, describes what kingdom people look like. They look more and more like their king. 
how they think, how they act. The, the king himself, Jesus, embodies all that we read of in the Sermon on the Mount, in these Beatitudes, and his people are being made to look more and more like him. Christ's character imputed to us who believe in Jesus by grace is now being imparted to us, isn't it? We're, we're growing within us by the Spirit as we walk with Jesus. We're growing within us in these beatitudes, if you will, these character traits of Christ. And I, and I want us to just keep that in mind as we continue in these beatitudes. Let's just read them now, beginning with verse 1 of Matthew 5. And seeing the multitudes, Jesus went up on a mountain, and when he was seated, his disciples came to him. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Note that. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven." Blessed are you when you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. I want you to notice with me in verse 3, the present tense as the kingdom of heaven is described. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That was repeated in verse 10, wasn't it? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. All present tense. And these bookends, if you will, in the Beatitudes, suggest to us that these are promises made to God's people. This isn't... For everybody, this isn't true of everybody on planet earth. This is true of those who enter the kingdom by way of Jesus Christ. So we just read a description of the king's blessed people. And so you you come to the Beatitudes and you're meant to ask yourself, am I a repentant sinner? Is that my deal? So poor in spirit so as to see uh, my only hope is found in the mercy and grace of God in Jesus Christ? Is that me? Am I poor in spirit? Has has that work of grace occurred in me? Then rejoice. You are the blessed of God. Do, Do you mourn over your sinfulness? So much so that you see Christ's sinlessness credited to you as your only hope of acceptance before God. His bloody death on that cross at Calvary, your only shelter from the wrath of God for sin. His resurrection to life, your only hope of resurrection to eternal life, not the eternal damnation, the the eternal hell that is your birthright by nature. If that's you, the poor in spirit, those who mourn, 
in that way. Then, then rejoice. Happy are you, Jesus says. The kingdom is yours. When? Later? Now. Now. God's people live in the realm of his blessing now. There's too many of us living as if God's blessing is for later. And now life is just really grim and then you die and it gets better somehow. That's not the gospel. Staggering blessing from God is given to his redeemed people. You who are followers of Jesus, every day it is your right to proclaim, by God's grace I am chosen, I am called, I am forgiven. What I just sang is true. My sin is remembered against me no more. I am accepted by God. I am, I am beloved of him. The scripture says he delights in his own. I'm kept secure, not by my own living, but by my God. His power. Are, are you living in this realm today? Is, is that the vibe of your life? Or are you like a lot of Christians who live this life always looking as if you need another dose of Alka-Seltzer. There's just so much of that in Christendom today. Don't forget who you are. Don't forget whose you are. Notice in verse 4, they shall be comforted. And this continues all the way through verse 9. They they shall be called sons of God and, and so on. That's future tense, isn't it? What is that to do with? So this kingdom of heaven is both now and it is also yet to come in its fullness. In the same way that a baby who was born is as, as, as alive as he or she is going to be and yet certainly not mature. We understand how these things are. So God's people live toward a realm of ultimate blessing. That means as blessed as you are right now, Christian, Your best days, by far, are yet ahead of you. Do you believe this? God's best for his people and his world is yet to come. Isaiah 65 says this, For behold, I create new heavens and a new earth, and the former shall not be remembered or come to mind. 2 Peter 3.13 echoes this truth. Nevertheless, we... We who are in Christ, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Is that what you're looking for? Is is that what you're living toward today? So the kingdom of heaven is here, Jesus says. The kingdom of heaven, listen, is in every heart on this planet that is surrendered to Christ as king. And the kingdom of heaven is growing, expanding. Its fullness is yet to come. A day is coming when heaven's values will permeate you perfectly. Don't you look forward to that? No more battle with sin within you. No more awareness and battle with sin around you. There is a day coming when heaven's values will permeate this earth completely. And and, and we live every day toward this promised new heaven and new earth. How blessed are we? 
How happy are we as God's people? Why is the believer optimistic and hopeful to the point of being a mystery, if not an irritant, to the world around her? Because she knows God. Why is he so happy within himself no matter how difficult his circumstances, no matter how dire his circumstances? Well, because he, he knows the king. And, and to know the king is to be blessed immeasurably. And I want us to keep that in mind as we squeeze this one verse. Verse 5, blessed, blessed are, are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And this is really the beginning of the message, isn't it? So, don't, so start your clock now, okay? <laughs> Let me just acknowledge the obvious. There, there's, there's very little difference between uh, what we read in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, and what we read here in verse 5, blessed are the meek. So if you get a sense of deja vu this morning, that, that's okay. That's, that's appropriate. The distinction is this. And I, w- I was helped by um, how John MacArthur describes this in his commentary. He, I'm not quoting him, but he says basically that to be poor in spirit describes how a person is within himself or herself. And to be meek really describes such a person, the poor in spirit, in relation to God and other people. And so this, the, the meekness thing is the, the poor in spirit, but shared with others, what, what that looks like. When, when I see myself in humility, you know, poverty of spirit, as one who has nothing to offer God apart from his grace, when, when I know that anything good in me is owed to God's work in me, that's going to affect the way I relate to God, isn't it? And that's going to affect the way I relate to other people. Who are the meek? Well, they're the poor in spirit. They are those who mourn their sinfulness before God. They are happy in their mourning, as Pastor Earl so well explained to us last week, because such mourning is the only gateway to forgiveness, the only gateway to cleansing. Cleansing. Acceptance by God. So when the Bible speaks of meekness, keep this in mind. It's not referring to some natural personality trait that some are born with and some are not. Some people are born really assertive. Any of you here assertive? Some of you are, are really passive by nature. Any, any among you here passive? This is not to do with that. Okay? This, this is a work of the Spirit of God. Jesus is referring to his own character, and it's the, it's the character that's been planted in and is now meant to be growing in the lives of his people. So biblical meekness is a, is a facet of the, the diamond, if you will, that is Christ-likeness. And think, are you still with me? Meekness, then. Think about where diamonds are put on display. It's always against a black backdrop, isn't it? You go to the... I remember when I bought the diamond breath ring that I got for Pam for, uh, to, to propose to her. Set against that black velvet, that looked like something pretty impressive. 
what has God done with the beauty of the meekness that he's building in his people? He set it against the darkness of this world, hasn't he? And it's really something because it's otherworldly. It's not natural. It's not a natural personality trait. It's a work of the Spirit of God, as we'll soon see. And it's a reminder to us when God says to us in his word, the meek shall inherit the earth. There is a day coming. We're living toward this day when every human being around us and within ourselves, there is genuine meekness. That's glorification, isn't it? Now, if Jesus is meek, and he is, then obviously meekness is not weakness. Jesus was not weak. Uh, Jesus was not passive in the, in the, in the worldly sense of passivity. Um, and, and meekness is not some kind of spiritualized spinelessness. Don't, don't think that. There's a very worldly definition of what meekness is. Meekness was on full display. You can read this in John's gospel. When, when Jesus was in Gethsemane, and the soldiers come to arrest him. And he says, hey, who are you looking for? As if he didn't know. And, and they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he, and he just turns and says, I am he. And the scripture says, they fall down as if they were dead. That's meekness. And Jesus waits for them to compose themselves before he says, okay, let's, let's go. That's meekness. Strength under control. It has nothing to do with weakness. Jesus lived every day of his life as the all-powerful one, yet always under the control of the Spirit of God in his humanity. Think about that. When, when God calls you, uh, what is it, Galatians 5, walk in the Spirit. Well, what does that look like? Well, look at the life of Jesus recorded for us in the Gospels. Jesus lived every day of his life walking in the Spirit in his humanity. Meekness, then, is strength and ability under the control of the Spirit of God. Is meekness growing in you? Are you meek in that sense? The, 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 the biblical definition, the biblical example of meekness? A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned um, ancient... Greek war horses, and, I, and I'll, I'm going to stick on the horse theme for a little bit longer here, but closer to home uh, in the American South, uh, the people who um, breed thoroughbreds for the Kentucky Derby and other, other things have an expression. They say the meekest horse wins the race. Think about it. The meekest horse wins the race. What a, what a strange thing. And Stu Weber, uh, in his commentary on Matthew, says this. He says, the meek horse is the one that most responds to its training. That's worth writing down. The meek horse is the one that most responds to his training. Forget the horse thing, just the training part. All of its obvious and inherent strength is harnessed and under control. Listen, we, we live in a cancel culture. Have you noticed that? 
a culture of conflict and cynicism. And it isn't just me too, it's me first. We live in a culture that cares far more about offending the spirit of the age than offending Almighty God. That's the, that's the black velvet that the diamond that is Christian meekness is set up against. And, and, and so we're, we're meant to ask ourselves from time to time, um, how are we responding to our training? When, when people go to our Facebook pages or they follow us on Instagram or wh- whatever the, the later incarnations of those things are, Um, Do they detect the beauty that is Christian meekness, strength under control, power, ability, yet harnessed by the Spirit of God? Do, Do our conversations with others, our demeanor with others, particularly those outside the kingdom, suggest that there is growing within us the very meekness that is the fragrance of Christ? There's always the danger of these things being practical and being personal. You still listening? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Are your abilities and emotions harnessed and led by the Spirit of God? So a wild horse doesn't win any races. And a wild Christian, and by that I mean an unharnessed Christian, a self-led Christian, is really a contradiction in terms. You know the proverb, well, Proverbs 25, whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. Now, in last week's pastorgram, I suggested to us that it might be helpful to turn to the Psalms for clarity about what this business of, of meekness is really about. And so we're just going to put that to practice now. And so if you'll turn with me to Psalm 37, we're just going to let the Bible define for us what meekness in God's people really is. What what, what does Jesus mean when he says the meek shall inherit the earth? Well, the people listening to him um, on this hillside um, overlooking the Sea of Galilee outside uh, the town of Capernaum, um, Jewish people who knew their Old Testament, in particular, uh, closest to Jesus as he spoke, remember, were his disciples, those men whom he had already called to follow him. How, how, did, how did they understand meekness? Well, they, they would have thought. You probably noticed this when we read the, the part of the psalm together. They, they would have thought of David's words in Psalm 37. They were familiar with this phrase, the meek shall inherit the earth. It, it's in their hymn book, the Psalms. Now, I want you to notice with me in Psalm 37, verse 11, the word but. The word but. That's a very important word. It's a word of contrast. If someone says to you, hey, it might be wise to jump off this cliff, but what follows is fairly important, isn't it? You want to listen to the part that follows. 
David sings of meekness in contrast to its opposites. In other words, meekness set against the, the, the black backdrop of the world apart from God, people apart from God's king. So let's just put this psalm to work for us as it defines the meekness that is being built in God's people. Verses 1 and 2. Do not fret because of evildoers, nor be envious of the workers of iniquity, for they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. The meek are surrounded by evildoers. That's the, that's the black backdrop, isn't it? Those whose lives demonstrate that they are outside of covenant relationship with God. And God's people are surrounded by the children of wrath. And so don't, don't be shocked at all to get a sense of that. It is so. And yet God's people do not fret. Did you notice that? Do not fret because of evil doers. Anybody here a fretter? By nature? So we know a little bit about what this is like, right? God's people have no reason to fret because this country invaded that country or this candidate beat that other candidate or, or, or you know, the, the, the library keeps stocking these kinds of books or, or that sort of thing. God's people are aware of such things and they oppose such things as God allows, but they're not unhinged by such things. That's the difference. We're not reduced to paranoid, hopeless fear and anxiety that the psalmist here calls fretting. Fretting. Why? Because none of those things take place outside the sovereign control of our God. And we're his kids. God's covenant people know God. Intimately, personally, he's chosen us and he's called us and he's saved us and he's promised to preserve us for his glory. And so the meek live with an active, lively confidence in God. How do I know if I'm growing in meekness? I'm just becoming more and more of a weenie? Just kind of more and more milk toast in my approach to life? Good heavens, no. No. But ask yourself this, friend. You have a lively confidence in God? Set against the black backdrop of a world on its way to hell? That's meekness. Says who? Says God. The meek do not fret because of evildoers, nor are they envious of the workers of iniquity. God's people know that the wicked, uh, however popular they might be, no matter how many followers they have, uh, no matter how much they set the, the fashion trends and, and, and the movie trends and all of that kind of stuff, uh, God's people know that the wicked are not to be admired because apart from grace, they are storing up wrath for a certain day of judgment. What is meekness? Well, Look at verse 3 of Psalm 37. Trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and feed on his faithfulness. The meek are at home dwelling where God has planted them. They're, they're nourished by his faithfulness 
not their surroundings. And so in a world where people are always running to this place or running to that thing or trying to suck life and purpose and gladness and contentment out of you know, circumstances and substances and all of that, the meek live with contentment as they cultivate faithfulness to God. That's our deal. Are you content where God has planted you? Or do you need a place, a circumstance, a substance to supply that contentment, that, that wellness of soul? So I thought we were talking about meekness. We are. This is how God defines meekness. The meek man wants to be more and more faithful to God as a husband, a father, an employer, an employee. He he knows he's a citizen of heaven passing through a season that is very short in an earthly realm. He wants to live to the glory of God. A meek woman measures success in life, whether it's marriage, motherhood, working a job. She measures her success by faithfulness to God and his word, not merely some earthly outcome. Let me ask you something. Do you measure success that way? Can we measure success that way as a church? Not with how many showed up, uh, 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 how much came in. Um, how pretty is this or that? Were we obedient to God? That's success. Let him own the outcome. You still with me? Look at verse 4. And you're very concerned about time now. I understand that. But don't, don't be overly concerned. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he shall give you the desires of your heart. Think about this. Delight yourself in the Lord. The the meek don't run away from people and and tough circumstances as a refuge. We we want to, don't we? We're always thinking about, man, if I were over here, if I had had that other job, if if her ministry was my ministry, if, if that family were my... You know, we have those thoughts. That's not the point. But the meek run to God in the midst of those circumstances. Because God is their refuge. People outside the covenant run away and run to all the wrong stuff. And some of us know this by experience. I know I do. We run to a person, Christ. He's the true vine, isn't he? Satisfaction is found only in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And what happens with the meek as they do not delight in themselves or their circumstances, but Christ primarily, he gives us the desires of our heart. Can anyone say amen to that? Am I the only one here who is absolutely stunned by how gracious God is to his kids? I don't have the life I deserve. Praise God. I have the life God has given to me because he's gracious. He's kind. He's not stingy. He's generous. 
The meek believe God always gives good things to his children. You relate to God this way? God is always good. So the life he gives to me, the circumstances that he gives to me, I can call good because God is good. He's promised, he's obligated himself to bring his good out of everything he lets me experience. What a promise that is for God's kids. And you get the idea that meekness is completely opposed then to self-sufficiency. The self-made, self-sufficient person, and just no offense, but that's you by nature, and me by nature, apart from grace, this is humanity, right? Um, Meekness is a hard concept. It, It must be a work of the Spirit of God. Meekness is, in particular, a hard concept for us Americans. Why? Well, because we are so independent that we loathe to think of ourselves as dependent upon anybody else or needing outside help. We prefer to help ourselves. We we prefer to secure our own blessing. Some of you right now are exhausted in life because you're working really hard to secure your own blessing. God doesn't call you to do that. And he loves you enough to make sure that's not going to work anyway. We even invented a name for it in our country, the American dream. Have you heard about this? Pursue happiness just like the Declaration of Independence tells you to. And one day you'll reach the American dream. And the thing of it is, is what if you don't? Or maybe what if you do? And you find that it's not quite as advertised. That, that's backward because at the end of the age, the American dream apart from Christ is an endless nightmare. And if it's been a nightmare for you already, <laughs> rejoice. Because the Lord loves you and is getting your attention. This, this circumstantial quest for happiness is a dead end, friend. Turn to Christ. Turn away from yourself. Turn away from your sin. The Bible calls that repentance. You turn to Christ. He's the sufficient one. We used to sing a song when I was a kid. And as you know, I'm terribly young, so a lot of you will remember this. But happiness is to know the Savior living a life within his favor. Remember that one? I love you, so I didn't actually sing it. But those are the words. (laughs) That's a good one for us big people, too. Happiness is to know the Savior. What what is meekness? Well, look at verse 5 of of Psalm 37. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. Your way is the trajectory of your life, (laughs) your your life path, if you will. So so you just ask yourself, what, what path am I on right now? Is your life... Committed to the Lord? Are, are, are you trusting in Him? The meek are those who say, Lord, I'm yours. You do with me what you want. I'm following you. 
Jesus, in his Sermon on the Mount, is speaking to a multitude, as we read, but he's also speaking to his first disciples, isn't he? Isn't he? So, so not merely listeners, but actual followers. And this is the part where your pastor pauses and encourages you to consider with respect to yourself. Which are you? A listener or a follower? Because the listener takes this in and says, yeah, I've heard all this stuff before. In fact, this is the longest sermon on meekness I, I thought possible. <laughs> the disciple says, I taste and see the goodness of God. And him growing this meekness in me, which is the very meekness of Christ himself, always leads into the best life God has for his people. Blessed are the meek. They shall inherit the earth. What is meekness? Verse 7, rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Do not fret because of him who prospers in his way, because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Now you fast forward in history to the days of Jesus and in particular the, the, the days of, of, of the cross approaching for our Savior. And how many of you know Jesus will say to Peter, Peter, look, the day has come for you to stop cutting off people's ears. That, 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 that can't be the first thought anymore, or at least not the first action. Get yourself under the control of your God. The time has come for you to stop speaking first and thinking second. It's time to start trusting in God's providence for you and for his people. So, Peter, listen, the schemes of the evil do not prevail. Not, not if you live with the long view that is required of the citizens of heaven. You live with a long view? Blessed are the meek. For they shall inherit the earth. And remember, to, to rest and wait upon the Lord is not talking about being sleepy. And it certainly isn't talking about doing nothing. The, the, the whole let go and let God thing is more than just a lousy bumper sticker. It's horrible theology. What does it mean to wait upon the Lord? Well, remember, uh, uh, we call that person at the restaurant a waiter, don't we? And you hope that that person's actually quite busy. You hope that that person is busy working according to someone else's agenda, namely yours. There's not to do with sitting around doing nothing. Waiting on the Lord. Looks like a few dozen of folks from this church down at the city park yesterday telling little kids and their parents about Jesus. That's waiting on the Lord. How? Because you think, well, how, how in the world does that make an impact, a, a, you know, a, a big splash for the kingdom of God? Well, Jesus says the kingdom doesn't grow that way. It's not a big splash kingdom. It's like yeast in a lump of dough. It grows. And it grows relentlessly. So for believers today, 
do you care if this is personal for a minute? For believers today to be fretting and angry at the world around us is not meekness. It's actually spiritual weakness. Did you know that? It's not Christ-like. For, for believers today to be using their best energy to plot the takeover of this part of the culture or, 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 or that earthly government is not at all what we see Jesus doing in the Gospels. It's a question of balance, isn't it? And so the psalmist, David, says in verse 8, cease from anger. So the assumption is, is that you're already angry. <laughs> cease from anger, forsake wrath, do not fret, it only causes harm. Harm to whom? Well, certainly to ourselves. I don't know about you, but I know people who are perpetually angry. Angry at life. Angry at the providences of God. Are you listening to this? Some of them go to church. Resisting God's providence. Discontent with God's agenda. That's a miserable person. Not to us only, but to themselves. Discontented people like that are a dime a dozen. And the world is full of such. In fact, it's part of the black backdrop that this diamond of Christian meekness is set against. We will not bring the gospel of the kingdom to the lost at the same time we are wrathful, vengeful people toward the culture we live in. The kingdom does not advance this way. Says who? Says God. Listen to James 1. The wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Whatever man's wrath expresses will be the antithesis of trusting in God. Imperfect as man's wrath is. So what is meekness? We're almost done. What is meekness? Look at verses 9 and 10. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord they shall inherit the earth. There it is. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. There is a day coming, Christian, when you won't be able to find evil on this planet. There is a day coming when you won't be able to find the sinfully angry, wrathful person. There's a day coming when you will not be able to find even the slightest fragrance of anything that offends God. Do you believe this? So we're meant to live toward that day. And we're meant to live in the Spirit who is building within us that kind of person right now. We're Jesus people. We look and act more and more like our king. And never will the wicked experience peace with God once their soul has been judged. Isn't that not a sobering thought? Does not that make you want to share Christ with someone who you know is apart from him? 
But, the psalmist says, the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. That brings us back to Matthew 5, doesn't it? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We, see, we, we don't have to try to imagine a world whose people love God and live for his glory. This is the inheritance of God's people. This is our future. When? I don't know when. When God ordains it. We're not meant to merely imagine a world whose people's strength is under control of the Spirit of God. That is meant to be on display in the church among kingdom people. The very fragrance of heaven on earth. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Let's, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your meekness. Lord, that when you were reviled, you did not revile in return, but you committed yourself to the one who judges righteously. And Lord, you did that for us. You did that so that we might respond to your gracious call to trust you for our redemption. And Lord, you are now building within us your own character, your meekness. Lord, I pray that you would find us soft and shapeable in your hands. For your name's sake, amen.